you were here uh, last Sunday, you may remember that we spoke on the topic of when you're feeling numb. And, uh, and I trust you understand what I mean, that when I spoke on that, I was really encouraged afterward when a few of you uh, came up to me and through the week I got some emails uh, saying how much that meant to you. So I'm so glad you felt the same way as me. Um, this morning, in continuing with depressing sermons, I want to talk about when God disappoints. When God disappoints. And I want to talk about that uh, more specifically along the idea of how to maintain a sense of expectation in our hearts, in our spirit, in our walk with the Lord in the midst of those occasional setbacks that come our way. How do we face those seasons, whether it's a, a specific experience we go through, something that blindsides us, a difficult thing we encounter, or whether sometimes it's just a season that we move into, we don't quite understand why, but maybe we feel lethargic, maybe we feel in some way just down or disappointed, we kind of feel stuck. How do we face those times uh, uh, without convincing ourselves to turn away from God? Because, you see, when we turn away from the Lord, when we neglect some of the basic habits the Lord has given us for strength and for direction and for breakthrough, when we move into that season or into that mindset, oftentimes that's what leads to poor decisions. Uh, decisions that oftentimes make us act out our displeasure with God. You know, kind of the attitude, well, God, obviously, uh, you know, you're disappointed with me, so I'm going to disappoint you. Or you've disappointed me, rather, so I'm going to disappoint you. Uh, have you ever felt that way? You know, kind of like, well, Lord, things aren't going the way I expect them to go, and so I'm not going to get too, you know, caught up or worried about whether or not I'm pleasing you all the time. Well, if you've ever felt that way, I want you to be encouraged because there are people in the Bible who felt that way too or who wrestled with some of those feelings. Our text this morning, as Susan read, and I apologize for the wrong uh, version on the, on, the, on the screen there. I photocopied a version for Susan, gave it to her, and then uh, I had Kristen put a different one up, forgot to give Susan a new one there. So that's why you had two translations going at the same time in case you thought your eyes were doing tricks on you. But our, our story this morning is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, if you've ever read uh, chapter 18 that speaks about some of the wonderful things Elijah experienced uh, by the power of God, you'll notice that the Elijah in 1 Kings 18 is quite different than the Elijah in 1 Kings 19. In chapter 18, we see a man who's bold, he's full of faith, he's courageous. You know, it's one against like some 700 prophets of Baal, Satan, worshiping prophets and priests. And by the power of God, a demonstration of God's power, uh, he ends up taking them down. And when that happens, I mean, Elijah basically realizes a lifelong goal. And that is to see the people of God return to God in repentance and to see that evil that's been plaguing the land washed away. And so in every sense of the word in chapter 18, you might say that that was Elijah's mountaintop experience. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 46 that the power of the Lord came on Elijah after that. He fashioned his clothes tight around his waist, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot. In other words, Elijah had experienced a supernatural enabling power from God to do something that was absolutely impossible. And yet in chapter 19, we see a different man, it seems. We find a man who now, after experiencing all of those wonderful things in God, now he's afraid He's exhausted, he's depressed, he's, he's running away, and basically he's so exhausted and so down 
that he just wants to die. And he's, and he's serious. These are not just, you know, he's not just throwing words out there. No, this is how I really feel. God, take my life. I don't want to be here anymore. And it's all because Ahab, the king, told his queen Jezebel what Elijah had done, and she was so furious that she said, by this time tomorrow, he's going to be dead too. I'm going to do to him what he did to my prophet. So basically, Elijah's balloon has popped, and he's running scared in the desert. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where it just seems like all of your expectations, all the things that you were planning that you hoped to come to pass, all of the things that you felt, you know what, if God loves me, then life's going to go this way, and it just seems like your balloon pops. It just seems like those things blow up in your face, and you're left feeling deflated. Maybe you feel discouraged or depressed, defeated, and maybe even angry at God. Now, I can only guess what Elijah was experiencing here, or what he's expecting, rather, but I think it's safe to say that Elijah felt in chapter 18, after all the incredible things he just saw God do, the reaction of the people, the slaughtering of the, those evil priests, I'm sure he thought at the very least that King Ahab, who saw all of this, was going to have a change of heart, and revival was going to come to the land, and life was going to be a lot easier for him. Now, I think it was this reaction that inspired James to write in chapter 5 that Elijah was a human being just like us. Because you see, in a similar situation, we kind of tend to do the same thing, or we're tempted to go the same way that we see here in Elijah. In our disappointment, what happens? Oftentimes, we become upset with God. If we allow ourselves to stay upset with God, then we become indifferent toward God or what he asks of us. We start feeling sorry for ourselves. And then we start looking for an escape into something else to take our minds off of what we're going through. You ever been there? We look for something to divert our attention, something to make us feel better, to forget what it was that, that, that we've just gone through. And then on top of that, we begin to think irrationally. What I mean by that is we begin to think unbiblically. Rather than allowing the truth of what God reveals to us, of what he knows, of what we should do, rather than that being the guiding force in our lives, we began to think about ourselves. We began to think about how we feel, and we make decisions based upon our feelings. We lose perspective. We stop enjoying life. You see, the Scripture says in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord will be strength to you. That, that's what it means to enjoy life. It means to be infused with the Lord's joy that becomes strength, that gives hope and perspective, that gives optimism. But we stop enjoying life. We forget our goals, we lose ground, and we withdraw from the Lord, the very one that we need the most. Now, we're going to learn a lesson from Elijah in just a moment. Before we do, there's a lesson here from King Ahab and Jezebel as well. Ahab, think of this for a moment, the wicked king in Israel, he has the unique privilege of witnessing everything that, he, that the people had just seen. This incredible demonstration from God. He sees this with his own eyes. And so he goes back and he tells his queen what has taken place. But the problem is he doesn't tell it really the way that it happened. Now, let me just back up and say this. Despite what he had seen, his heart seems to be unmoved. He doesn't seem to change. And when I read that, I realize, you know what, none of us are immune to experiencing the power of God, the presence of God, 
to being inspired by the Word of God, to see God work in lives around us or even in our own lives. None of us are immune to witnessing those kind of things and yet remaining lukewarm or even calloused. Even the disciples got so used to seeing Jesus at work that at one point Jesus had to stop and rebuke them. And he said to these guys who had hung around him for a long time and seen all these incredible things, Jesus said, do you still not see or understand? Are your minds closed? You have eyes, but you don't really see. You have ears, but you don't really listen. And that reminds me, if that can happen to these men who walked with Jesus and saw the things that they saw, it can happen to me. And it does happen sometimes. We read in verse 1 of chapter 19 that King Ahab told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had put all the prophets of Baal to death. Notice how, how Ahab, seeing what God has done, when he speaks to his wife who wasn't there, he puts it all on Elijah. He basically says, you won't believe what this prophet did to your priests. I wonder how the story might have changed if he had come to Jezebel and said, Jezebel, you won't believe what God did. You won't believe that God did something that hundreds of your prophets could not do. You won't believe what God did in the midst of his people so much so that they turned their hearts to God. I can't help but wonder if he had told the story in the true context of what had taken place, who really what is about, that the focus really was God and not Elijah, if on Jezebel's part there might have been repentance rather than just revenge. There's a lesson here for us. I wonder how many times we are blinded to the supernatural in the body of Christ because we focus on style. Let me say that again. I wonder how many times we're blinded to the supernatural because we're too focused on style. The reality is in our heart, our heart can become so indifferent toward God so callous, I promise you this. In fact, Jesus said in the gospel, remember the occasion when the man died, was in Hades, Abraham, and was looked across to Abraham's bosom, and he said, you know, here I am in hell, and I'm, I'm thirsty, and I got, please let me go back and tell my brothers. And, and, and the Lord basically said, if you go back, if I raise you from the dead and you go back, they're not going to believe you. The word is there. And that sounds hard to believe, but I've seen it. I've seen people who don't know Christ, I've seen people who profess to know Christ see God do incredible things, and yet rather than allowing the power of God, the manifest evidence of the power of God to touch them where they are and change them, free them up from their prejudice, from their unbelief, from their religiousness, rather than allowing God free them up and move them on to what he has, instead they'll look at the messenger and something he said wrong or did wrong or the way he dressed. Do you hear me? They get so caught up in style. I pray that we are mature enough as followers of Jesus Christ here at Glad Toddings that we can bring anybody who loves Jesus, who has the evidence of the Spirit of God moving in and through their lives, and we can embrace what God is doing in them and receive the message God has for us and not get caught up because they're a different denomination or they dress a different way or they might even sing country. Isn't that true? You see, if your heart does not want to receive, you're not going to receive whether somebody raises somebody from the dead. You're going to say, well, is that really God? Because, you know, they don't believe the same way I do. They don't go to the same church that I go to. Maybe they're wearing jeans in church. Whatever it may be, 
The flesh will look to style, to nitpick, to find an excuse. What am I basically saying? I just don't want to change, so here's my excuse. Didn't mean to share that this morning, but that, that's kind of what I see in Ahab when he goes and talks to Jezebel. And then Jezebel's response is this. She sent a message to Elijah. May the God strike me dead if by this time tomorrow I don't do the same thing to you that you did to the prophet. Now, what's happening here? Jezebel can't touch God. We know that. And so she does the exact same thing that the devil does to you and me. Now, if she knew where Elijah is, the question is, why does she just send a messenger to him? Why does she not send soldiers to get rid of him? She just sends messengers to threaten him, which obviously gives him time to leave. And I believe that one of the reasons, of course, is just the sovereign hand of God. But another reason, I believe, is because Jezebel knows she is defeated. She knows the people have turned to Elijah. They have turned back to God. She knows that her spell, you might say, over the people is now broken. She knows that she has been defeated. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8. Satan has never been on the side of truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he's only doing what is natural to him because he is a liar and the father of lies. So once again, Jezebel knows she can't get at God, so she tries to get at God's people. Jesus says that Satan is constantly accusing God's people. Revelation chapter 12. What does that mean? It means the, the, the devil's primary battlefield in your life is not your circumstance. It's not what's happening to you. It's not what's going through you. It's not how you feel. His primary battlefield in your life and mine is in our mind. Why? Because he knows he has no chance against God, but he also knows how prone we are to live by our feelings rather than living by the knowledge, the faith of who God is and what he says. And by the way, faith is not some kind of emotional leap. Faith is not just trying really hard, really hard, really hard to believe and say the right thing. Faith is based on fact. It's based on the truth of what God's Word says, that when you weigh it out, it has strength, it has substance to it. I have faith in the Word of God because God has proven Himself to me in times past. He's proven His Word to be true. So when He speaks His Word again to me, that's why in the Gospels time and time again, Jesus says, truly I say to you, you can take this to the bank. This is the truth. Remember through the Beatitudes, through the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say time and again? You have heard it said, but this is the truth. You've learned to live this way, but this is how you live. You've learned to think about God this way, but this is who God is. You think this is life, but it's empty and full of death. This is true life. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that he has given us truth that we need to draw on in those times when the enemy comes against us to accuse us because we know that the devil can't hurt God directly, so he tries to hurt him indirectly by convincing you and me, hear me, saints, to turn away from him in disappointment. And when we do that, we are robbed of our highest fulfillment that God intends for us. Now, we are not defenseless. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, we have complete victory over the devil through Christ who what? Who loves us. Not who's just expecting us to toe the line or measure up, who loves us. 
uh, 1 John 4. The Spirit who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is more powerful than the Spirit, small s, the enemy, who belongs in, in those who belong to the world. Now back to the story, verse 3, chapter 19. It says, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. There's a couple other translations that put it this way. When Elijah saw that, he arose and went for his life. It's the same Hebrew word, but is translated either as afraid or saw. And I think the significance of that is simply this. How we see a situation will either empower us and encourage us, or it will worry us and turn us into complainers. It's been said that disappointment is the gap between your expectations and your reality. Let me say that again. Disappointment is the gap between your expectations and your reality. The first lesson I take away from Elijah's response is the, simply the impact that our expectations can have on us. Elijah was expecting something different. It didn't turn out the way Elijah thought it should and so Elijah acted out in a way that was different than, was, than what was honoring to God or what God had for him. Does it sound familiar? Life is full of disappointments. But what I love about God is in those times of disappointments, his reaction is not to us, hey, that's life, suck it up. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, get used to it. You're living in a fallen world. No, he wants us to understand that if we're not careful, our expectations will hurt us if we allow our expecta expectations to become demands on our heart. You understand what I'm saying? You see, we have certain things that we want to happen in our life. We have certain things that we want to come true. We have certain expectations, things we are expecting. And it's that expecting that gives us a reason to get up in the morning, right? I'm expecting something today, or I'm expecting this, this is what I'm expecting to come of this situation, and so, hey, that's great. I'm ready, you know, ready to go. It gives me meaning. It gives me purpose. Well, if I focus on those expectations that I've created, if I'm not careful, those expectations become demands. In other words, it becomes an attitude in my mind. Here's my expectation, and if God loves me, he better. Right? If God is really God, this is going to happen. This should happen. I don't know how many times I bought the lottery ticket, but God knows. Eventually, it's going to happen. You know, that might sound crazy, but do you realize it's up to like 20% of our population today is actually counted on the retirement, uh, on, on the lottery for their financial plan in retirement. That's the reality. How many Christians have obviously thought, Lord, the lottery, what a wonderful idea. You could use this to meet my need, and I would even tithe on it. But that's how crazy we think. But we're the same way in other areas of expectation. We don't consult the Lord. We have our own idea of what happiness is, how things should go. That becomes our expectation. But if God has no say in it, those expectations become written in stone in our heart, and they become demands. God, if you want me to serve you, it better happen this way. It better turn out this way. Friends, we, we can all allow ourselves to think that way. Now, it's not wrong to hope for God's best. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that love believes all things, love hopes all things. But it also says that love bears all things. 
love endures all things. You see, because of God's love for me, I can hope. I can believe. But also because of his love for me, I can endure. I can bear whatever it is that's bringing me toward what he has for me. You see, when we focus on our expectations, things working out the way we think that they should, then we make those expectations our source of happiness and our source of contentment. And you say, Paul, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that we undermine God's wisdom in our lives. We undermine God's power. We undermine God's plan. Remember what he said? We all say it all the time, Jeremiah 29, 11. The Lord said, I have a plan for you, a plan to give you hope and a future. The two things we want more than anything else. God says, trust me, I have that for you. And yet everything in the natural with the devil's help is to help us to try to get us to come up with other expectations that we think we'll find happiness in. And if God really wants us to serve him, then he better pull that off for us. And we presume that we know better than God. And when you live that way, you are going to end up frustrated. You're going to end up feeling like a failure. And you're going to run away. You're going to go somewhere else. You're going to just kind of get away from God. Oh, I haven't stopped believing in God. No, I haven't stopped going to church. I haven't stopped doing the Christian things that I'm supposed to do. But you know what? I'm just kind of done with God. He hasn't made my dreams come true, so why should I bother? We allow the disappointment to create a God in our own image, and we just kind of run away from him. You may recall that Job tried that once. If anyone had a right to be upset with God, you would think it was Job, right? If anyone had a grievance with God, hey, this doesn't make sense. I've lived for you. I've served you, all that kind of stuff. You've taken everything away. God comes to Job, and basically in his disappointment, he airs his complaint, and then God answers this way. Job, were you there when I made the world? If you know so much, tell me about it. Have you ever in all your life commanded a day to dawn? Can you show orders to the clouds and make them drench you with rain? Now, a lot of times people read that scripture and think, oh, God's upset with Job. God's basically putting Job in his place. I don't believe he is. I believe very lovingly through revelation what God is saying to Job is this. Job, whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling, you can trust me. I got this. I got this. If I made the world, I can handle your world. That's all I need you to know, Job. I'm doing something. I'm doing something. The scripture says Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. When Elijah saw what he saw, he arose and ran for his life. Elijah was disappointed. He allowed that disappointment from those expectations that didn't come to pass to sink him into a depression because of what he could see. And in case you're tempted this morning to think, well, Pastor, this message doesn't really apply to me because I'm not given to depression by nature. I'm not on antidepressants. I don't kind of fall into depression. Well, let me give you a definition of, according to the dictionary, what depressed means. Depressed means pressed down, put into a lower position, being below the standard. In other words, what God is saying is that if you are living below the standard of what I have for you, if you're expecting less than what I have for you, if there's no expectation in your heart, in your walk with Jesus Christ, and the Lord says, in my eyes, you're depressed. Isn't that good news? You have been pressed down by the devil's strategies against you. You have settled 
for Elijah. And a couple of things we learn from Elijah's misplaced focus and reaction to the situation is, number one, never walk by what you see. Never walk by how things appear. We know the scripture in 2 Corinthians, for we live by believing, not by seeing. God never leaves us in our disappointment. God never left Elijah in his disappointment. In fact, the scripture says that God actually sought him out and he ministered to him. Hear me, friends. The Lord will do the same for you and me. He sees us in times of discouragement, or you just may be here this morning and you've been in the state of spiritual apathy for 20 years. You believe the Lord with your head. You know God is real. You come to church. You feel his presence. You try to worship him. But fundamentally, you don't expect anything of your life. You don't expect anything to change. You don't expect God to do anything. You hear others' testimonies. You think, well, that's just them. They have the favor of the Lord somehow. They're different than me or whatever. They don't understand what I've gone through. They don't understand what I'm experienced. Whatever it may be. Whatever God does when he comes to minister to us, to speak to us, and we can all tell about times when we feel that way and we know God has spoken to us. He's brought somebody across our path. He's dropped a word in our heart through a message, through a song, whatever it may be. He will come after us. He will pursue us. But we still have a choice. And if we will allow ourselves to remain indifferent, to remain apathetic, to remain unbelieving, hear me, friends, we will miss what God has. That's just the reality. We don't have to, but we will because he pursues us, but we have to respond. Another thing we learn is to stay focused on the Lord. Look beyond the situation that you see, and we touched on this last week, but keep living according to the principles that God has shown you in times past. Continue praying. Continue trusting. Continue serving. Continue to be available to the Lord to use you. Continue meeting with other believers, whatever it is. Don't just run ahead and do things on your own. Whatever you do, don't try to manipulate the situation on yourself. Now, here's the key. You don't have to pretend there's no problem. That's not faith. That's stupidity, okay? You can call it positive confession. I just call it delusion, okay? No, no, if there's a problem, there's a problem, okay? There's a problem. If you got a sniffle, you got a cold. If you're sick, you're sick. That's life, okay? You know you don't have to pretend nothing is happening. But what you do need to do is look beyond it to God. That's the key. Saying, Lord, here's where I am. Here's what's going on. But, Lord, I look to you. There's an old song that some of you may remember. It just simply says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full. In other words, don't be looking at other things. Don't be looking this way and that way in God and this way. No, look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth, they will grow strangely dim in the light, not of positive mental attitude, in the light of his revealed glory and his grace in that quiet time where you're alone with him. Romans chapter 4, we're told that Abraham is a model of faith. He's an example of what faith is. At the age of 20, you'd think he's almost dead. He actually lived there for 75 years. But his wife, Sarah, she's old as well. They're both too old to have children. But I love what the Bible says in verse 20. Abraham's faith did not leave him. Let me ask you, some of your old timers, has your faith left you? Do you still have faith? Do you have a stronger faith? 
Do you have a testimony today of what God has done through your life at the age of 60, 70, 80 years of age? Or is it always about what he did in the old days? Is it always about, well, I've had my time, now it's time for the others to rise up? No, 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 no. No, David said, when I'm old and gray, let me tell the next generation of the wonders of God. It doesn't stop. It doesn't have to change. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how busy your life may be. You may be in the season of children. You may be in university. It doesn't matter what season you are in. Every season, God has fruitfulness. There's no excuse. There's no one who's disqualified. If anyone had a reason, it was Abraham. But yet it says this of him. Abraham's faith did not leave him. He did not doubt God's promise. I love this. Say it with me. His faith filled him with power. And he gave praise to God. Isn't that beautiful? Filled him with power. He was absolutely sure that God would be able to do what he had promised. That's the kind of faith God wants us to have. That's available to all of us. But you know where it's available? It's available in relationship. It's available when you learn to not turn from God, turn to God. Right? What does James says? Submit yourselves to God. Then, in that power, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Why is it you are so tempted in times of discouragement, disillusionment, whatever it may be, weariness? Why are you and I so tempted to turn from God? That's called spiritual warfare, spiritual attack. It's called the strategies of the devil who does what? He knows if he can get you to turn from God, avoid God, run away to some other place, fill your life with other things. He's got you because you have no other weapon. You have no other resource. You are a sitting duck if it's just you and your intellect and the enemy. You know what the enemy will make you think? He'll make you think that all the things that are happening, all the things that you're going through, they're just a natural part of the difficulties of life. It's not spiritual. It, no, no, I'm not behind this. It, he just weaves it into the natural fabric of your life so that you can just explain it away. That's why I feel this way. That's why this is going on. And you know the next step? If you do that, he'll say, now, here's how you solve your own problem. And that's where you go from bad to worse. That's where you go from dry to drier to driest to dust. That's kind of the progression. The Lord says, look, nip it in the bud. Turn to God. Come before him. Submit to him. He will meet with you. He will give you what you need. You'll be able to resist the enemy in that power and continue to move on. Be conscious of your problem. Be confident in God. And be constant in your walk with the Lord. Feelings will always turn you from God. Faith will fill you, as the scripture says, with power and praise. I know some of you are too young to remember this song, but maybe you saw it in an old movie back in the 1950s. There's a song that said, Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a wonderful feeling. Why? Say it with me. Everything's going my way. Now, that's a nice thought, but wanting everything to go your way, friends, is not only unrealistic, it is totally self-centered. It also suggests that everything going your way is the key to your happiness, rather than you learning to grow in God's way. There's a verse uh, in the scripture, many of you will know it, of course, but it's been a great source of encouragement to me over the years. 1 Samuel 30, uh, King David 
He's still basically fleeing from King Saul. He's been anointed king of Esau 14 years before David would actually take the throne after being anointed. But here he is in the desert. This is Israel, okay? This is the Middle East. This is the desert. It is dry. It is hot. It is scorching. And we see David, he's exhausted. His men are tired. He's feeling like a failure. He has no water. In fact, it's very much like Elijah's situation. David has every reason to give up and go back home. And yet I love this scripture. Just try to imagine for a moment how dry and discouraged David was. And yet it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. He turned to God. That's absolutely amazing in that situation. He encouraged himself. That's what another translation says, that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I'm going to say something to you. I heard somebody else say this past week, a wonderful video Vanessa and I were watching. It just came to my mind. It is this. Discouragement is a choice. You choose to be discouraged. It doesn't mean that discouraging things can't happen, can't pop up, can't come against you. But you decide whether or not you will be like David and be infused with courage. That's what in, it, encourage means, in courage, to be encouraged, okay? I'm discouraged. That's the presence of the Lord. That's his truth. That's courage. I am in courage. That's what I'm getting. It's a choice that I make. If I choose, it doesn't mean I can't have a fleeting moment of discouragement or question. No, no. But if I choose to live in that, what have I done? Like Elijah, I've turned from the Lord and I've gone to a desert place all by myself. I've gone somewhere else to look somewhere else to get something to fill me, to kind of take my mind off of what's going on, rather than taking that same energy and saying, I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to turn to the Lord and be in the Lord. So we have a choice in any given situation, either if we're going to be discouraged or for how long we're going to be discouraged. You see, to be discouraged means to be emptied of courage. And I become emptied of my courage by believing the lies. Or I can turn to the Lord, step into him, and be in courage. Make sense? I thought it was a nice thought. God is a place of responsibility for all of us, a place of influence. Whether it's in your home, your marriage, your workplace, your school, whatever it may be, but we are going to face opposition. We're going to be criticized. We're going to experience disappointments. But only I can decide if I'm going to lay hold of God or if I'm going to lay down and die. Only I can decide that. I want to finish with this. I want you to notice how the Lord handles Elijah's disappointment. Real quickly, I'll go through these things. Number one, before he deals with Elijah's spiritual condition, God rejuvenates him physically with rest and with nourishment. It may not sound too spiritual, friends, but sometimes all you need to get out of your slump, you just need to get some rest. You just need to start eating healthy. Maybe go for a walk. It can just be a simple physical thing that you got to get back into alignment. The second thing we see is that God gets Elijah to face the real problem. Now, how many of us understand that disappointment can take a real toll, can it? It can take a toll on you physically, emotionally. It can take a toll on your productivity. It can affect us in our home, our job, our ministry, whatever it may be. I want you to notice what the Lord asks Elijah. And he asks this question twice, verse 9 and verse 13. He looks at Elijah and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, it's not that God didn't know where he was or why. But he's basically saying, what are you doing here? In other words, Elijah, I see where you are. 
But you've got to take stock of where you are. You've got to consider the cost of what you're doing right now and the time that you're wasting. You see, we can find ourselves stuck in a rut. And like I said, this can be something you've been in for 20 or 30 years. You just kind of plateaued and you just have a religious life. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven one day. You don't have an abundant entrance, as the Scripture says. You may get in by the skin of your teeth, but you're just kind of, you know, i got enough to get through, but I'm just basically living life. Don't expect God to do much in my life. That can be where you are. Or maybe this past week you've just gone through a discouraging time. Whatever it is, friends, you need to consider this. What is it costing you? What is it costing you? How much are you wasting? Wasting of your life? Wasting of your potential? How long are you going to do this? I'm going to be real transparent. Gulp. Early in our marriage, probably for the first 25 years. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't quite that long. I don't know, maybe 10 years, maybe more. I inherited something in my, in my family, I know, from my dad. I love my dad dearly, but I didn't understand as a kid, but as an adult, I could see, wow, that was me. But I had a real tendency, if I got discouraged or if I got upset with Vanessa or whatever the case may be, I could get real moody. I mean, isn't that an ugly word? Moody. It just sounds heavy. It just sounds heavy. And, and I could wallow in that for a day, two days, three days. You know, just walk around moody. And there would just be this cloud in the house of just heaviness because Paul's in a mood. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. You know, and I didn't want to be cheered up because in my mind, you see where the devil works. In my mind, I had all my arguments. I had good reason to feel the way that I was feeling. And, and, and you know, if, if something wasn't going to change or something wasn't going to go my way, then I have my own way to punish you. But then one day, in the, great, in the words of the great theologian, Dr. Phil. Now, this is before he ever said it. This is before Dr. Phil, but it's kind of the same words the Holy Spirit's saying. Basically, Paul, I see where you are. Oh, yeah, I hear all your arguments. Yeah, Paul has been four or five days now. How's it working for you? There wasn't a whole lot of sympathy. You know, I expect at least the Holy Spirit to come along and say, Paul, okay, I see your list of 20 things. I agree with four or five. Didn't agree with anything. Didn't agree with anything. He said, Paul, you basically got a choice. You either turn to me, receive grace, receive forgiveness, get it together, or you can just sit here and wallow. It's up to you. You've got life and death in front of you. What do you want? Choose life. I want you to choose life, but it's up to you. And I began to learn, I began to learn over time how totally unproductive that was, that mindset. But you see, it wasn't just a mindset. It was a spiritual attack. It was a strategy that the enemy knew worked on me. He knew the button to push. He knew how to bring me from this place to drag me out to this place. You understand what I'm saying? So whatever it is that he uses to shut you down, to rob you of faith, to rob you of joy, whatever he uses to make you feel justified in the attitude you've adopted or the lie you've believed or the relationship that's going poorly that you've, you know, just let it continue that way, whatever the excuse may be, you've got to understand it's going to cost you something. And the Lord wants to free you from that because he has so much more for you. It's for freedom that we've been set free. Don't become entangled again. Well, that point was longer than I intended. Number three, 
God speaks to Elijah personally. This really underlines the need, my friends, we shared last week, to be in the Word and to listen to the Lord, to hear a gentle whisper, to focus on Him, and to apply the truth that He shows us. Whatever you may feel, my friends, if you're, if you're walking with Christ, if you're a believer, you've got to keep the habit of solitude and meditation on the Word of God, whether it's just five minutes or a half hour, whatever it may be, you've got to keep that practice. Because you see, if you don't allow the entrance of God's word, which David says gives light, if you don't allow the entrance of that word, then all you're open to is your own rationale, your own arguments, your own imaginations, your own scenarios, right? Don't we do that? We're upset with somebody. We're upset with God. What do we do? We rehearse everything in our... Is this just me? Any of you guys do this? Yeah, point to your spouse if they do this. Right? That's where the battle is. That's why Paul says we bring every thought, right? Every imagination. What's he saying? Accusations, lies, strategies. We bring every imagination down and we make it captive to Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying we turn to God. We resist the devil in the power of the Holy Spirit and he flees and we stay free. Number four. God gets Elijah active and involved in ministry again. He says, go back the same way you came. And I want to encourage us, friends, when we're feeling down, don't just give in to moping around doing nothing. That just reinforces the discouragement. In the same token, don't just get busy so that you ignore what God wants you to deal with. He wants you to have rest and solitude and relaxation, but he also wants to involve that with work and ministry. I got to be really honest. I guess that's probably the most I could be earlier, but here's another one. You know, the, and you got to kind of hear last week's message to kind of get the whole picture, okay? We talked about when you're feeling numb. But one of the things I've been really feeling, you know what, in my kind of the weariness and just some of the stuff I shared last week, it's all good, but you can listen to the podcast, but it kind of ties into this morning as well. You know what, when you're kind of feeling down, one of the best things you can do when you're kind of feeling like there's not a whole lot of faith, that the feelings really aren't there, I got to tell you, the best thing you can do is go out in the street and find someone to talk to Jesus about. That's the best thing you can do. Go find someone who's sick and say, hey, can I pray with you? Go do something. Go minister. Go put yourself in a position where you sense the anointing and the presence of the Lord again. He will meet you there. and It's amazing how quick the Lord can cure you. If you will just stop feeling sorry for yourself, moping around, not doing anything, driving, drying up, instead put yourself in a position where there can come a flow again. And the Lord will refresh you. It doesn't mean everything changes overnight, but he can certainly stop you from wasting so much time for what he has for you. And finally, God gives Elijah a friend. He says, go and anoint Elisha. Someone to talk to, somebody to eventually take his place. I love what James says in chapter 5. Pray for one another so God can heal you. Friends, we all need someone that we can share with, whether it's your spouse, a friend, a believer in the church, whoever it may be. I want to encourage you in times of disappointment or discouragement, in times where you're just feeling flat, just feeling numb, or maybe you've been in that place for a long, long time that we shared before where nothing much is really happening and you need breakthrough. I want to encourage you, find someone you can share with. 
God would later tell Elijah in verse 18, we didn't read it this morning, but later on in the story, he said, Elijah, there are 7,000 other believers in Israel who stand for me as well. So I want to encourage you. In times you kind of feel down, feel flat, don't you dare believe the lie that you're all alone. Don't you believe the lie there's nobody else who understands you or understands what you're going through. That's a lie. There's a whole bunch of other folks who know exactly what you're going through, and there's a bunch of other folks who will believe with you and stand with you and help you see breakthrough in your walk with the Lord. You know, we never see the big picture all at once. And so many of our expectations will never pan out as we thought they were going to, and disappointment is unavoidable. But the disappointment that leads to depression is not unavoidable. It's something that we bring upon ourselves by wrong thinking and wrong choices. It's not a choice that we usually want to make, but we often choose to run to the desert. We often choose to try to escape into something that will take our mind off what it is we know that we need to do. That's our way of coping. It's a temporary solution, but it's also part of Satan's strategy to lead you away from God's solution. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me. You know, Elijah's mistake was not that he went to the desert. God had led him there before. Elijah's mistake was nowhere in this particular scenario do we actually see him call on God. We don't see him turn to the Lord. There are decisions we make every day that we don't need to pray about. But hear me, friends, as I close. In times of disappointment with God, when your expectations don't line up with your reality, those are times that you're especially vulnerable to the devil's accusations. And my question is, in those times, what do you do? And again, you may be sitting here saying, well, Pastor, I don't feel depressed. I'm not, you know, I don't give in to depression. No. But let me ask you this. If you're not experiencing the life of the Spirit flowing through you, if you're not experiencing joy, if there's not an infusion of the presence of the Lord and His mission, His ministry through your life, then I would, I would say to you, most likely, you are in a depressed state. I'm not trying to depress you, okay? What I'm saying is that we can go so accustomed to a faith that is plateaued, that there's no, like we shared last week, there's no new expression of the life of Jesus flowing through me. There's no new level, no new dimension of revelation or understanding or stepping out and being stretched and being a ministering person. We can just kind of be where we've always been for a long, long time. We are in a depressed place. And the question is, if that's you, do your expectations become demands that God has to meet for you to be happy? Or are you going to trust him? Trust him. And second, will you focus on the situation or will you focus on the Lord? Don't try to solve your problems with your own solutions. The Lord says, turn to me, quiet your heart, listen to me, and I will lead you. Will you bow your hearts with me? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we conclude our service that you would just find open hearts, each one of us, that wherever we may be, O oh Lord, I pray through this summer season there would be progress in our walk with you. It would not just be a time of checking out, but I pray, Father, as we sit here this morning, that as you may come to us by your Holy Spirit and say, what are you doing here? That, Father, we'd acknowledge where we are and say, Lord, lift me out of this place. Lift me out of this place of disappointment, this place of spiritual apathy or indifference, lethargy, unbelief, whatever it may be. Lord, I just open my heart and I pray 
that you would take me from that place of just moping around spiritually to actually being a ministering person, ministering to my family, ministering to my workplace, in the community, wherever it may be. Lord, I want your life to flow through me. I'm just going to ask while we're still bowed, eyes closed, would you just do some business with the Lord right now? Would you just acknowledge wherever it is the Holy Spirit's putting his finger and saying, look, this is where you've been shutting down. You know it. Give that to me. Turn to me. This is where you believe in lies. I want to speak truth into your life. Here's the truth about you, about this situation. Receive my truth. Stop believing the lie. And friends, it doesn't matter how much time has gone by. If it's just been this week or if it's been 25 years, it doesn't matter. However long the enemy has shut you down, the Lord is here to free you up again, to liberate you, to bring joy in your heart. He says, I give you the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that you might be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, bearing fruit in every season, that he might be glorified in your life, that you might be filled with joy.